Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. How do you pray? Do you have long conversations with God every morning? Quickly thank Him for your food at each meal? Count your blessings before you sleep? There are so many different ways and times to pray, and they all likely trace back to the time when Jesus taught His disciples to pray. In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright breaks down Jesus' template to better understand the elements of a godly prayer. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. Our second scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 through 13. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me, the door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish, He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist? Done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want? Or at least avoid the lightning bolt? Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused. But at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God. The God who spoke the universe into creation, who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him, 
in the vastness of all that exists, he actually cares about us, personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God? Wherever we are, how can we not thank him for what he's done? Or cry out when we need help, when we need forgiveness, when we're afraid, when we give thanks for our blessing or question where our next meal will come from. Why would we live a life apart from Him? It's not about formula. How could any posture or well-chosen word impress the author of time and space? It's simple obedience. God has made Himself available to us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to trust in Him, to acknowledge our dependence on Him, to draw near to the one who loved us first. Approaching with confidence, because Christ has torn away the veil. He's washed away the sin that kept us from His presence. And we live in relationship with our Lord. And so we ask that His kingdom come his will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. That is prayer. If we ask the question, what is prayer, we could get all kinds of different answers. And they would probably be right answers to some degree. But I would say to you this morning that when we talk about prayer, we are talking about one of the uh, parts of the living the Christian life that nurtures our relationship to God, and that in itself is of critical importance. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Luke chapter 2, and uh, at the end of that chapter, there is a short narrative that gives us a... Uh, very rare glimpse into the life of Jesus as a young boy. It's just about the only uh, glimpse we get into Jesus and his family between his birth and his adult ministry. But it was a time when Jesus went with his parents, as so many of his people were doing at that time, and they traveled from their hometown to Jerusalem uh, for the, uh, one of their annual pilgrimage feasts. And while they were there, they, they spent the week there in worship, and then Jesus stayed behind, and they had to go back and get him. You'll remember the narrative. And they found him there at the, at the temple, and he was engaging the teachers of the law, and, uh, really impressing people by the questions he was asking and how much he seemed to be uh, aware of, uh, of who God was and his great understanding of God. And we observed at that time that uh, really you kind of look at the person of Jesus from, from two different angles because the, the person of Jesus is mysterious, fully God, fully human. And you look from both of those directions and you know, being fully God, of course he came very well to an understanding of who he was because his divine nature allowed him to do so. But then when you look from the other direction and say, well, from the human side of things, he also had to grow into that understanding of, of who he was. And I believe that there's a good reason to believe, I believe there's good evidence to believe that part of what helped him do that 
was that Jesus belonged to a family that had very, uh, a very structured religious life that they lived. Their, their willingness to be obedient to the things that were part of their religion was helpful to Jesus in growing into the person that who he was. They took him for the feast. They, they did those things that helped to nurture uh, a, a good understanding of God in him. We as Christians also are called to do those things, to practice those things that build into us a healthy, uh, mature relationship with God our Father and Christ our Lord. Uh, one of the things that is kind of perilous for modern-day Christianity is, is this notion that we can take it uh, casually and freely. And yes, we want to set ourselves free from things that are uh, legalistic, things that bind us and hold us rather than uh, actually lead us into the freedom of Christ. But at the same time, we don't want to dismiss those things that are good as far as disciplining us into a life that is stronger in, in our relationship with God. And so what we want to do in the next few weeks, including today, is just to remind ourselves of some of the things that traditionally and scripturally God commends to us that, that we should intentionally do to nurture our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we start today by looking at the idea of prayer. It's interesting to me that when Jesus talked about prayer with his disciples, he didn't say, if you pray, he said, when you pray. Small difference, but yet important. He didn't, say, he didn't approach it as if, well, if you get around to praying, like if, pray if you feel like it, there was an expectation on his part that prayer will be a part of who you are. So the question isn't whether or not you're going to pray. The question is going to be what you do when you pray. What's your prayer life going to be like? And this scripture that we visit today is one of these times that Jesus had been praying. We don't know exactly what he was praying, how he was praying, but his disciples had observed him being in prayer. And so they ask, teach us to pray. We want to be able to pray rightly. Okay, this is the idea of orthodoxy, which li literally translated means right praise. You know, but the whole idea of orthodoxy is, just, is not being able to just do something, but we want to do it right as far as carrying out our, uh, th the things of our religion, the things of our faith. So they're asking, Lord, teach us to pray so that we can do it rightly. How, how can we pray? Or you might say, how can we do it effectively? How can we do it so that God's ears are open? How can we do it so that we can be convinced that God hears us? Do you ever feel like that? Like, like, you know, I want to be able to pray with the confidence of knowing that my prayer is really getting through to heaven. And I don't know about you, but I've had those times in my life like I'm, you know, I feel like the prayer is just bouncing off the ceiling and coming back and, you know, it's a frustrating thing to feel. So that the disciples are asking for this, and so what Jesus offers to them is, is a, a, a model, if you will. It's a, it's a pattern, a model, a, a template that they could use to look at their prayer life and, and say, is, are my prayers including these kinds of things? And so I want to share you know, just some reflection and just to have us to think about the things that Jesus commended to them and to think this morning about why they would be important for us to regularly build into our life of discipleship. Okay, 
on a regular basis why we should do these things. And so when Jesus starts to teach them how to pray, uh, one of the first things he says is, when you're praying, say, hallowed be your name. I'm going to give you four bullet points. If you're a note taker, write these down. Um, And they're not the perfect bullet points, but they're just the ones I'm using this morning. The first thing Jesus says to them essentially is it's an issue of whom we are loving. Whom we are loving in life. Jesus' words, hallowed be your name, are a recognition that what part of what we do in prayer is to worship. Now, we're going to take a Sunday in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be talking all about worship, so we don't need to go too deeply today. But the, the first words out of Jesus' mouth are, when you're praying, you are worshiping God. You are giving Him praise and adoration. You are recognizing that the one to whom, the one you're addressing is a holy God. And it's so good for us to remember on a regular basis who God is in our lives, okay? Because it's easy to lose track of that. It's easy for us to forget that this one with whom we're in relationship is the God of all creation. He is the majestic, the holy God set aside from all other things. The one who invites us into relationship with himself. And so part of what we do in our prayer is to worship and to praise Him, to lift Him up and to give Him glory. Or to put it another way, it helps us to stay in love with God. It helps us to remind, it helps us to be reminded that this God to whom we pray is a God that we are called to love above all things. You remember what Jesus said when He was asked about the most important of all commandments? He said the most important commandment is what? Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love God. And when we pray, one of the most powerful things we can do is to use that prayer time to stay in love with God. I've been married to my wife for a good number of years now. And you know something I still enjoy doing? I like to look her in the eye, and I like to tell her that I love her, and tell her how how special she is, and tell her how beautiful she is. And when I do that, she just kind of grins and she goes, oh, you're so sweet. Which I'm really not, but that's what she tells me. Now, I do that for two reasons. I do it because it's true that, that in my life she is beautiful. She is, the one, she is the one above every other woman. I mean, it's not even close. I adore her. I, I, I lift her up. She is the one special one in my life. Why should I still have to do that? Not only because she still needs to hear it, but because for me, I still need to do it. Just the act of doing it keeps me in love with her. And I don't want to lose that. And in the same way, Jesus is saying to his disciples, when you pray, take that time to nurture that that vital love that you have for this heavenly Father, that he has set aside in your life as the one above all others who who gets your praise, your adoration, your, your unwavering dedication. We stay in love with God when we are praying. It's an issue of whom you are loving. The second thing that Jesus says to them is that when you pray, say, your kingdom come. Okay, so it's, not, it's about who we're loving, and it's about what we are seeking. 
What are we seeking in life? What are we pursuing? What are the, what's our agenda in life? I would contend that every one of us in this place have an agenda. Okay, There are things that we want to see happen. There are things that we chase after in life. There are things that we, you know, we want to see these things take place. The question is, is it God's kingdom? If I, if I gave you a, a clue, you could finish this. I bet you can, okay? Finish the phrase. Seek ye first. See, you could do it. You probably even had the tune in your head, didn't you? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus told us. Seek first the kingdom of God. When we pray, prayer is an opportunity for us to continually align our desires to God's kingdom. We have a terrible habit, and when I say we, I mean Christians. We have a terrible habit of doing exactly the opposite. We set our agenda in life, and then we try to use God's kingdom to baptize our agenda. If you don't understand what I mean by that, I'll tell you. you you've heard this, and I don't know, maybe you've heard it from one side or the other, but we have two political parties that would both love to stand up and say to you, we're the God party. You know, we're the ones who are doing God's will. We're the ones who are aligning ourselves with what God wants. I have news for all of them. They don't get to claim that. They don't. Now, that doesn't mean that in one way or another, so they, they might, there might be some overlap. There's, I'm not saying that there's not. But no political party gets to stand up and say, we're the God party. We're the ones who represent the kingdom of God. Uh-uh, it doesn't work. You see, but we still try to do that with our politics. We try to do it with our social agendas. You know, whatever that thing is, you know, that this cause that we feel is so right, and we just, you know, we're passionate about it, and... And we put it on Facebook, and we stand up, and we scream, and we yell, and then, and in our minds, what we're doing is, and but but we're doing God's work here because this is what God is wanting us to do, and so we baptize our social, you know, causes with with the kingdom of God, and and, and we make them one and the same, and and that's dangerous. And once again, it doesn't mean that there might not be overlap, there might not be similarities in it. But when we, when we say that there's a kingdom of God and, and we are supposed to be aligned to it, it, we don't bend the kingdom to us. We bend ourselves to the kingdom. And so to pray, God, your kingdom come, is a prayer of, uh, it's a prayer of, uh, of relinquishing ourselves. It's, it's a prayer of surrender. It's a confession, if you will, to be able to say, God, I, I know I have my agendas. I would like always to think that my agendas are your agendas, but I'm not going to be so proud as to, as to claim that that's necessarily so. So God, conform my will to your will. Make your agenda the one and the only thing that I'm pursuing in life. And if I'm pursuing things that don't line up with your kingdom, help me to change those things so that I'm lining up with you and you only. It's really a powerful thing, and it takes an ongoing pursuit of the Christian 
to make sure that the only vision we have is one of God's vision. Whom we are loving, what we are seeking. Thirdly, whom we are trusting. Jesus says in verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. He says, pray this, give us each day our daily bread. Who are we trusting in life? It's a good question. Especially in this society where we are taught so strongly to be self-sufficient. And it doesn't mean that that's necessarily bad. You know? We're, it's not bad to, to be taught to, to work and to stand up and, and try to, uh, to you know, make gain for yourself, uh, you know, work, work hard, things like that. Um, but ultimately, we nev- must never lose trust in our dependence on God. To, to realize that we are solely dependent on the mercies and the blessings of God. Do we realize that every breath we take is a gift from God? If we have had the ability to get up and go to a job and to work and to put food on our table, that is a gift of God. The opportunity to have the job is a gift from God. The ability, the strength that we have is a gift from God. There is nothing that we have, nothing that we have been privileged to enjoy, nothing that is not God's gift of mercy to us. We trust in Him, and we must never lose that trust. There was something that very unexpected and unpleasant that happened to me. It's been over 10 years now since my dad died. My dad was the second of my parents to pass away. And immediately after his death, I experienced something that I never saw coming. And it was, uh, it, it was this very unpleasant feeling of being orphaned. And it hit me, and, I, and it was so, it, it, I mean, it just kind of shook me in, in the deepest parts of my being, and I didn't expect it. I don't really know if it's because, if it's just because my, my dad was the second of my parents to die, or maybe I felt more strongly connected with him. I'm really not sure what it was, but I just know that it happened. And I don't want to take anything away from the other people that I had in my life. I mean, I have all kinds of people on, on whom I can depend. I have a great mother-in-law. I've been blessed with great in-laws through my life who love me, and I love them just like uh, normal parents. doesn't mean that she's not a normal parent. I'm going to dig myself a hole, and I better just quit while I'm behind. You understand what I'm saying? But it was the fact that when, when I no longer had my parents in my life, it, it was, there, there was this vulnerable feeling that, oh my gosh, I, you know, I had depended on having them in my life in a way that I just had not realized. And when they were gone, I just felt vulnerable. And you know, I realized what, what God offers to us is that we never have to feel like that in our relationship with Him. That we should always nurture within ourselves the, the reality that we depend upon Him, but coupled with that, the fact that He is always there. That He never wants us to walk through this life feeling like we are without Him. And that is so 
powerfully important. We live in an anxious time. And we should be remembered, we should remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Words that would be familiar too, or where, where, where Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, that's a prayer, that's a, a promise that he offers. If you will offer your requests to God, pray to God, tell him your needs, tell him your fears, tell him your desires, surrender those things to God, and do not be anxious for it. Because when you put those things in God's hands, God will return to you a peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. And that peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, in these anxious times, I can do nothing more than, than, than offer to you what God offers to us. That assurance that we can have in Him of trusting His, His presence in our lives for that. Whom we are loving, what we are seeking, whom we are trusting. And the last two things I'll lump together in how we are living. Jesus says in verse 4, Pray, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You know, the, the, the prayers that we offer, the, the words, you know, in our Lord's Prayer, we, we sins, trespasses, debts, you know, I, I don't know that one is any better than the other. It all kinds of get, kind of gets to the same thing. But the first part of that is that when we pray, there is a self-examination to that. A willingness to look inward before we look outward. And I wonder how often and how well we actually do that. Let me ask you this question. Are we, are we better at seeing our own sins or the sins of other people? Your laughter tells me the answer. We're better at seeing other people's sins, aren't we? I mean, we just, we, 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 we more quickly latch on to, oh my gosh, I mean, can you believe, you know, it's tougher to look in. But the first thing Jesus says is you have to look inward. Self-examine, understand who you are. Let God show you those dark places of your heart that you need to address. You always address that first. And that is so important for us to live openly and freely before God. Let me share with you the words of Psalm 32. Um, this is known as a Psalm of David. Uh, just listen to how he expresses this. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away, and through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, 
and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You hear that? When David is saying, Lord, when I was silent before you, God, regarding my sin, it's like this weight was upon me. Your hand was heavy upon me. But when I acknowledged my sin to you, what happened? There, there was this freedom, this release, this, uh, you know, God saying that this, this sin is washed away. And what God wants us to do is to be able to walk with that, that, that weight lifted from us. But when God lifts that weight from us, He also sets us free to live rightly with each other. That we, are, that we forgive, that we are forgiven, and then as we forgive those who sin against us. And that too is important because relationship with one another is equally as, as important. Let's go back to what when Jesus was asked about the most important of all commandments, what's the greatest? He said the first is love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then there's a second that is like, your, like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, our relationships with one another are just as important to God. And God wants us to be able to live uh, in reconciliation with forgiveness toward others. And we find that so often difficult. We like to carry the weight of those who have sinned against us. But that's not the way Jesus wants us to live. And that's why we look inwardly so that we can look outwardly. And you know, I'll tell you what, I, I look at myself and I find that I find that this is true in my life. When I live uh, when I live less graciously and more impatiently toward other people, I realize that it is because I have not done a good job of self-reflection and examination. When, I am, when I'm better at self-examination, I live more graciously toward other people. It's a very interesting dynamic. I find it to be true for myself. I expect you might find it to be true also. Examine oneself that we might forgive others around us. And then lastly, Jesus says, and pray this, lead us not into temptation. It's a very simple reminder that as we walk a path, it is a holy path. It actually brings us back around to the first thing Jesus said when we say to God, hallowed be your name, we are acknowledging God is holy, God is set apart. And then what do we realize? That just as God is set apart, so God also has set us apart. And what we desire in this life has to be that we live a life that doesn't look like the world, that we live a life that looks like God's, that we look like, live a life that looks and resembles God's kingdom. And temptation pulls us away from that. And so part of our prayers is, Lord, help us so that I don't fall into the temptations that make my life look less like Jesus and more like everything else. And I don't know about you, friends, but I need help if I'm going to live a Christ-like life. I cannot do it on my own. I must have the help 
of the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray for that. Ask for that help, that he might strengthen you so that temptation does not overtake you and that you are standing strong in Christ. Now, Jesus follows all of this with, with some analogy. From verse 5 all the way through verse 13, there's, there, there are these um, images, if you will, that I want to uh, simplify for you in, with one word. And that word is confidence. Confidence. Please understand that I, I, I never want to oversimplify Scripture. We could break this apart for a long time, and there's, there's richness in it. But I want to boil it down to just that one word, confidence. When you pray, you can have confidence that as a child of God, there is a God in heaven who hears you and whose hand is moved when you pray. That's what this all is about. It, it, it's not about, uh, you know, you can just... Jesus isn't saying that, you know, if you just nag God enough, he'll, uh, he'll get frustrated with you and give you what you want so that you'll go away. That's, that's not how he's depicting God. Nor is he depicting God like a genie in a bottle, like, you know, God is just there to do whatever whim you have, and so you rub the bottle and God comes out and gives you what you wish. Look, if you will, because I know your Bible is still open. In verse 13, most of your Bible translations should have the words or something very close to how much more? How much more? This is the best analogy of it. When he says, look, you as parents, if you have a, a child who asks of you a fish, you're not going to give that child a, a snake. If you... If that child asks you for an egg, you're not going to give it a scorpion. If the child asks you for something good, you're not going to give it something bad. And here's a case, and you'll see this kind of teaching very often. Jesus uses this kind of dynamic. It's the how much more then teaching. If you, me, if you and I in our human frailty, being being evil, often the word that is used to describe us, if we're broken in our nature, uh, sinful in our, in our nature, even if we in our nature know how to give good things to our children, how much more does God give? How much more will God be faithful to respond in a good way to those who ask Him? If we can do it, surely God will do it. That's where the confidence comes from. That when you pray to this good and faithful God, He is faithful to answer and to respond. And I want you to look at this one last thing about how God responds. And that response begins with God's self-giving. Jesus says in verse 13, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't a whole lot of other things that get added on to the answers and the responses of God's prayers, or God's answer to our prayers. But God's response to us 
begins with God's self-giving. And I would say to you, brothers and sisters, what better thing could God give than himself? My family thinks I'm odd, probably for a number of reasons. Around holidays, birthdays, Christmas, etc., they will regularly ask me this question, what do you want? What do you want for Christmas? They have come to know that my answers typically are the same. Well, yes, yeah, sometimes it's just nothing. That's not actually the truth. It's not that I don't want anything. The thing that I want most is that I want them. I want, I want my family. I want my spouse. I want my children. I want what they bring to me. And they say, no, but you know, you know the question they're asking, right? What can we go buy you? What can we make you? What can we do for you? And act, you know, something that we can put in a package or we can surprise you with. And, and I try to answer those questions and they'll tell you that I'm usually not very good at it. But I can't escape that the thing that I want most is relationship. And I think God's the same way. Like the best thing He has to give starts with Himself. And when He gives Himself, He gives all the blessings and all the assurances and all the promises that go with Him. And so my question to you, friends, how, regular, how regularly do you find that these things are part of your prayer life? Is prayer something that you do whenever you just kind of think about it? Is it just a blessing at the meal table, which is fine. I mean, you know, it's good to give thanks for a meal. Is it only a cry that when you get into trouble, kind of like Jonah in the belly of the whale, like, oh God, I'm in a boatload of trouble and you're the only one to get me out? Or do you regularly have a time, a, a, a pattern in which you are interacting and communicating with the God of creation so that you can nurture your relationship in Him? It is something we do so that we can grow into the mature followers of Jesus Christ that God has called us to be. And I would encourage you to look at how diligently we are doing that in our life. Pray with me if you would. Father, we do thank you for this gift of the thing that we call prayer. Uh, simply put, yes, just the opportunity, Lord, to be in communication with you. But, Father, we're reminded that communication is foundational for a relationship built on love. We know, God, that your heart overflows with love toward us. We want, Lord, for our love to overflow toward you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be diligent, to, to do these, this, this thing called prayer so that 
so that we can stay aligned with you and so that we can stay in love with you and so that we can continue to be faithful to be the kind of people in the world that bring you glory because of our ministry toward others. Father, it's only by your help that we will do it. And so I pray that you will guide us in those ways in the days to come. Give us to know the wonderful joy of Christ abiding in our hearts this day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.